0: Welcome to the Food and Feelings What's Eating You podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Scott, founder of Tracy's Gourmet Specialty Foods Company and the loser of 115 pounds. I created this podcast after years of being asked how I lost the weight and what caused me to weigh over 250 pounds. This podcast will uproot the truth about how food and emotions are connected, how food and weight impacts our sense of well-being and identity, and how we use food during life changes and its impact on our thoughts and behaviors. My goal is to serve and support you as we change our relationships with food and discuss alternatives to addressing our emotions in a non-food way. This is, and I've actually been counting week eight, for us in quarantine, and I think I shared a couple of weeks ago that we decided to transition our podcast to interviewing health and wellness experts, people who are experts in the areas of food, health, wellness, and how our emotions and how our lives are being impacted by food. This week, we have the amazing opportunity to speak with Dr. Janine Parker-Woods, Dr. Woods is the agribusiness and marketing specialist and currently serving as the interim program leader for the Agriculture and Natural Resources Unit with the Cooperative Extension at North Carolina A&T State University, one of the major HBCUs in this state and the country. She created and leads the statewide regional small farm production workshops known as Agrishops. Some of her additional programming includes integrated marketing, agritourism, aggregators, and farm groups, expanded local foods, and digi-ag with QuickBooks training. She's also the co-chair for the economic development subgroup for the state's local foods team. In addition, Dr. Woods serves as president-elect for North, Carolina, North Carolina's Association of Cooperative Extension Specialists and president for the Joint Council of Extension Professionals. She holds a Ph.D. from the University of Florida in agriculture, education, and communications with a concentration on international agriculture development and extension systems. She has a master's in agriculture economics and a B.S. in business management and economics from North Carolina A&T State University. Dr. Woods is also a returned Peace Corps volunteer serving in Guatemala, as a sustainable ag marketing volunteer with a coffee cooperative. Dr. Woods is also someone I have been following on Twitter and through the North Carolina Cooperative Extension for a few years, so I am very excited to finally get to speak with her and be able to interview her. Hello, Dr. Woods. How are you?
1: Hi, Tracy. How's it going? <laughs> Thanks for having it me. It's going
0: pretty well. You are welcome. It is going well in quarantine life.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, as
0: you know, our our stay-at-home order was lifted on, was it Friday, May 8th? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was Friday.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, we're in phase one
0: now. <laughs> that's right. We're in phase one, and I have been enjoying going to some of the gardening stores and just walking through all of the aisles and seeing plants. And it's been more for my mental health. But um, Mm -hmm. it's been good. It's been good because one thing I have always enjoyed doing is visiting farms. You know, I love doing the blueberry pickings and the strawberry pickings, and we have that. We have a really good um, uh, agriculture system here in North Carolina for that. But um, I want to talk to you today. Yeah, I know. This is the season season for for visiting
1: farms. (laughs) I
0: know. I was like, man, this is perfect timing because we can actually not just go out, but we can go out and do some picking. You know, yeah. six feet distance and everything. But what exactly. have you been doing in quarantine life? That's what I want to know because everything um, you do is outside.
1: Uh, yeah, so we've had to switch gears a little bit. Um, of course, you know, because we're we are at telework status um, since the since everybody kind of you know shifted and everything um but I will say that despite the fact of you know us not being able to be on the university farm every day doesn't mean that we're we're not still doing things on the farm so we do have a few folks that are still going to the farm Um, Every day and maintaining some of our research projects and and uh, applied research projects that we have um, at the university farm And then of course, you know taking care of some of the animals and things that we have on the farm So that part is still in operation even though the rest of us are teleworking Um, And then of course those of us that are teleworking are still doing our state programming Still helping train some of our county agents, um, still reaching out and meeting with some of our farmers you know, via Zoom or uh, Google Meets or whatever the case may be. Um, majority of us are using Zoom, but some of the farmers are using other things um, on their end. And so just trying to make sure that... You know, even though we might not be able to physically, you know, visit, that we're still doing the things that we would normally be doing around this time. And then also trying to enhance that by adding additional programming since we are working from home.
0: And then, of course, you know, very
1: busy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, and then as the the program leader, I'm making sure, you know, my team, you know, gets the things that they're that they need to get out. And then, of course, as a specialist, making sure I get out the materials that I need to get out. So (laughs) we're, we're all very still very busy still. So one of
0: the reasons I wanted to interview you, and I'm so grateful for your time, is mm-hmm. everything that I am hearing and reading uh, in the news um, within the USDA about our food supply system.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I just, just because we have in a food business, I have to keep my ear to that industry and what's going on with our food supply. But now things have gotten to the point where I'm lost. I'm I'm not able to understand it, you know, like a lot of food companies, a lot has stopped for me, a lot has stopped for us. And so I wanted to get some questions answered and get some answers to some of the pressing questions that I've heard on a few of the webinars I've been on with Mm -hmm. other food entrepreneurs. One of them is, because this is a big concern for us, a lot of us use local or, you know, just fresh ingredients, How are farmers, this is my first question for you, how are farmers going to bounce back from this pandemic?
1: Um, So I think it kind of just depends on uh, what area of the state they're in and how they were typically getting their food out prior to. Um, We've seen a, a mixed bag of responses, you know, from our farmers. Some of our farmers are actually doing very well. Um, during this crisis, because you know local consumers are wanting to purchase even more local foods, and so they've been able to increase sales by selling online you know having people come to their farms and pick up the food and things like that so some farmers are actually doing pretty good. Our farmers that we see that have really been hit are our farmers that you know typically um sold to restaurants sold to to schools and daycares um you know may have sold to uh, regional wholesalers um, and things like that. And so um, I think those are the farmers that have definitely been struggling the most because, you know, they already had, they were part of the food system as in relationship to wholesaling and selling to, you know, larger entities and having larger quantities of food go out versus our small farmers or our farmers that do more farmers market and farm stands and things like that. Those farmers seem to be doing reasonably well. Now, of course, again depending on the area kind of determines you know how successful some of these you know farmers are going to be whether or not they had a web page or social media presence already you know in order to get some of their food out Um, if they're in an area that understands local foods um, and was willing to kind of purchase from them anyway um, if they were you know uh, from an area that may not have known but they were able to get that information out then those people, of course, are gonna, you know, want to inc- increase the sales for those farmers. It's those p- those farmers that don't have access to those tools or don't have access to, you know, broadband services to help kind of push things to, on, on, you know, on the social media front, or they don't have access to a local place to have a local farmers market. You know, those are the farmers that have definitely, you know, kind of struggled some. So it's a mixed bag across the state.
0: Wow. You know, and I I totally forgot about the connection between farmers and schools and farmers Mm -hmm. and restaurants within the supply chain. You know, I know that, but when you Mm -hmm. think about it in terms of the supply chain, the schools are shut down. That's a huge that's a huge market for farmers who sell directly to schools. And the restaurants are shut down, which is another huge market that farmers sell to. I didn't, I didn't make that connection until you said that. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, um, it really kind of just depends on, you know, what part of the process they're really in. We have some farmers that sell to wholesale companies. Their, their only job is to, you know, collect the large quantity of produce from as many farmers as, as they have in their network and then sell that to restaurants and things like that. Well, if restaurants are at, you know, uh, takeout status, if they don't have the funds to even stay open, a lot of places have to close. That system, you know, is, is unstable, you know, because of that.
0: Wow, and, you know, you don't think about that uh, when you're a, either a consumer or if you are a food entrepreneur. I mean, you think about mm-hmm. it as a food entrepreneur, but not to that level that you describe. Right. And I guess I'll just speak for myself. I don't know about others. Um, right. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. very helpful. So another question, and I know this has been a big one. I'm pescatarian, so I only eat fish. Which okay. I don't think the fish industry has been as affected, but um, – Has the meat producing production, that whole meat processing industry changed forever?
1: Um, So two different things. So the seafood industry has definitely been hit uh, by the pandemic in terms of the number of people that are going out and, and purchasing seafood and things like that. A lot of the the seafood industry there is two different sides to it. It's the side of you know tourism, people going to those areas, purchasing fresh seafood. That market has definitely been hit you know, massively because you don't have people going out and visiting those areas or coming in, you know, from other areas. Our coastal, you know, um, cities do a lot of sales in seafood and things like that, especially during uh, this time, actually, is where we start to, you know, enter into the peak, you know, time uh, for those areas. And so they've definitely been impacted by that um the ones that sell for you know frozen production and things like that are also hit as you kind of alluded to about our processing facilities you know if we don't have you know some of our processing facilities open due to people you know being sick well then you know that halts production and when i say halt production i don't mean it stops production all the way but it alters you know the capacity of production because i might be working on a you know a skeleton crew now you know, because I can't have so many people in the facility at, you know at once, and so this pandemic has definitely affected you know some of our larger processing facilities because we have more people in those areas, and we've had to reduce the number of people we've had to stagger shifts you know and so and we've even had to like stop you know you know certain shifts in order to go in and you know clean everything down before we bring in more people again so all of that you know has an effect on you know our Uh, meat supply. A lot of the meat that we see in our grocery stores in particular, you know, are coming from larger processing facilities. In some states, you know, some of those facilities have been heavily impacted by the number of people that have contracted COVID. And so that definitely Mm. affects it. Where um, the meat, uh, you know, meat sales and stuff isn't as as uh, largely affected is in our local food system where you have farmers that process meat or they sell, you know, um, local to restaurants and grocery stores and things like that. Those, Those farmers that were able to do those things um, are reasonably doing okay in that area you know, and they're even selling directly to consumers they've seen an increase in the number of consumers purchasing directly from the farm with even processed meat, so you know it kind of just depends on you know what portion you know of the system we're you know we're talking about.
0: You know, you talk about uh consumers purchasing directly from the farms. I know that mm-hmm. I'm I'm on a couple of webinars and I'm in a couple of uh food entrepreneurial groups where before it hit the news that farmers were selling direct to consumers, you know, we knew about that before mm-hmm. the news started talking about it because there the, the farmer that I think he was on that call who refused to throw out his milk, and he had a mile or two-mile-long line of people coming to buy the milk. He was yeah. on a call. I think that was him. And he said he refused to throw away all that milk because some did do that. He, and he said no. He put out a call. He just – I think he had a Facebook page, but it wasn't really active. And people started lining up. He said they were calling, they were emailing, and they said, heck, we'll buy it because you can't find it at the store. So Correct. they just cut out the middle person and said, well, just," he said, just come to me. And so that's what a lot of the farmers started doing, and I just think that's so smart. Do you think that might be the direction we go
1: in now? Um, so in particular, our state is a large, you know, um, local food, small farm producing type state. And so for us, you know, we've clearly seen an impact like other states, um, but I don't think the impact has been as dire as it has been in some of the other states that have a significantly larger portion of large producers. Our larger producers are the ones that are seeing, you know, real issues because there are, you know, um, un- instability in, you know, some of the larger, you know, food processing, you know, facilities and things like that. And so if you are a large producer and you are getting your stuff out in large quantities, yes, it is way more disrupted, you know, with the pandemic going on. However, our, you know, more local producers are, are seeing that consumers are looking for it. Consumers want it. All you have to do, like you said, is put out a call and people will start showing up, you know, because now people are starting to realize I had no idea that there was a farm, you know, right down the street that would, that would sell directly to me. You know, people weren't yeah. necessarily thinking about those things previously. And now being at home, you know, having to mm-hmm. rethink, you know, and strategize, you know, what can you get access to, you know, people are starting to 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 utilize their local food systems more. And that's where you're
0: seeing that at. And uh, you said something earlier in regards to people didn't know. People are now finding out that they have so much access to local food. I know as a food entrepreneur, we like that. You know, I started at a farmer's market. I started at several farmer's markets. So it's great when local products are being purchased by the people in the community, Um, and I I do agree with you, you know, people are now becoming aware of it because they didn't have to be aware of it before all of this happened.
1: Correct. And previously, you know, people have a tendency to like convenience, right? And so, of course, I'm going to go to – you know, the, the big box stores and be able to purchase, you know, everything I need to purchase, you know, in this in this one sitting or this one setting versus, you mm-hmm. know, having to go to the farmer's market. Well, I mean, prior to, you know, COVID, I was going to farmer's market just so happens yeah. because I, I work in this field and I, I understand it a lot more, you know, but. You know, some people just never had the luxury of, you know, even knowing that they even had a farmer's market that they had access to. And in some places, they didn't have necessarily access to the farmer's market, but now they're having access directly to the farm itself. And so people are trying to take advantage of that if they can.
0: Yeah, I I just think it's such a – I hate to say it's been a good thing that has come out of this. I'm very careful about that because I'm sensitive to the number of losses But I think that's just a great thing that's coming out of this is people are switching back to pursuing and looking and seeking, you know, local foods and going directly to farmer's markets and directly to the farms. Um, Yeah, that's really good. Another question that I have is how has the pandemic changed the agribusiness industry? Um, We kind of touched on it, but specifically Mm -hmm. how has it changed?
1: Um, so I think our smaller uh, agri agribusiness um, folks are doing reasonably okay, and by reasonably, I mean, again, it goes back to, you know, where they're located in the state, access to resources, and a consumer base. All of those things definitely, you know, affect this industry. Um, and it can be volatile at times. Um, our larger, you know, um, ag business uh, folks, you know, processing facilities, things like that, those are the ones that are, are more drastically hit because the, it, it, it um, depends on, you know, having a larger amount of human resources. And so when you're heavily dependent on human resources and a pandemic like this happens where it, remo- it removes that human resource, you know, then you're left in, a, in an unstable position. And so those wow. are the ones that, you know, are are, are more affected, you know, in, in that matter. Um, also you have to look at is this an essential business or not, you know, when, when we made the decision about, you know, um, asking people to stay home, you know, essential employees were still asked to go to work every day. And so, mm-hmm. you know, even in our processing facilities, people still had to show up, you know, and so even though we might have reduced the number, we still had people going in and working because we st- this portion of the supply chain still needs to, still needs to function.
0: Mm-hmm. So touching on that how can you kind of quickly explain the supply chain the food supply chain in North America I know it's huge but like can you just give us a snippet of what that looks like what's the
1: process um so of course everything starts from the farm everything mm-hmm. that you eat starts from the farm um, and so it kind of just depends on if it's a large producer or a small producer, kind of how it flows in the food system. Um, but the biggest thing to remember is that from the farm, it goes to either directly to the consumer or it goes into the larger system. And it goes into the larger system via, you know, wholesalers or buyers or things like that. They then in turn, you know, either send that to a processing facility, you know, whether it's, you know, meat and things like that, or if it goes into, you know, our our more, uh, I'm sorry, manufactured goods, excuse me, um, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, cookies and things like that or whatever, you know, sugar, all those, all those things. You know, if it's an added, you know, product or not, you know, and it kind of goes through the system that way, and then it comes to the consumer. So it either goes directly to the consumer or it goes through a few different places before it comes back to the consumer. But in the end, everything goes from the farm to the table at the end of the day.
0: Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And then, of course, we export a lot of stuff. We are an, an ag-exporting country, um, and so a lot of the things that we produce, especially with our large-scale producers across the U.S., those uh, farmers produce a lot of things, and it goes out to, you know, other countries to help them eat as well.
0: Are we a major uh, food exporter? We are. Like, if you had the same, we are major, like, over 50% of what we export is um, food, or...?
1: I don't know the exact percentage, and so I don't want to, you know, throw out any crazy numbers here. Um, But we do produce a lot of food that does not stay here. We produce a lot of food that goes to other countries. Um, Like, for example, the state of North Carolina is a pork-producing state. A lot of pork goes over to China. We export a lot of pork to China as well as have a lot of pork that stays here.
0: Yeah, I know several uh, food entrepreneurs who they are exporting to China their particular products, and I've had the opportunity to do it myself. And I was surprised, you know, once I started speaking to more people within the export uh, division here in North Carolina, I was surprised to know how many food entrepreneurs were shipping or exporting their products overseas. So yeah. that, that has been a, a very good learning for me because I didn't know that North Carolina did so much exporting.
1: Yeah. Um, our you. Department of Commerce does a great job at trying to help, oh, they do. you know, assist, you know, some of the businesses here with trying to get our products and things in other countries. So, yeah.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Final question, because like I told mm-hmm. you, I could have sent you 30 because <laughs> I've been a fan for a while, but I, I calmed myself down. But this is definitely going to be the final question. Okay. <laughs> and you and, I, you and I touched on this with mm-hmm. I, I had to just sit back and say, oh, wow, I am privileged. Mm-hmm. I, I have a privileged mindset. When it comes to that, I didn't think about that. But I asked you about GMO, non-GMO, and mm-hmm. so the formal question is, Will we begin seeing more GMO fruits and vegetables?
1: Okay, so as we, you know, had a previous conversation about this, um, I think that sometimes people get caught up in in the verbiage per se and not really thinking about kind of our historical use of, you know, modifying our what we eat, and so for centuries we have been modifying food based on kind of you know, what what works and what doesn't work. You know, we just kind of you know, we're, we're kind of spitballing things and trying things out and, and doing our own research and trying to figure out, well, well, will this work or will this won't work? And, you know, letting Mother Nature kind of take its course and, and kind of navigating, you know, what, what fruits and vegetables we eat, you know, based on what can grow in certain areas. Now, we've Traveled across the globe, we've moved seeds from one place to the other, and we've modified those things based on that. And that is the the hands-on process, right? That's the the human modifying of of our of our produce that we eat. Now, when we get into what you know, it being genetically modified, well, that just means that we've enhanced our skill sets. So that we no longer waste time on things that don't work, and we've taken it to a cellular level and trying to modify what we eat you know to and, and, and in reality, you know GMOs began because you know we're trying to modify things so that it can work in in response to you know some of the climate change issues that we've seen. So for example, if I live in a place that is heavily you know filled with drought, um, and you know I need you know a drought resistant seeds, then the GMO works for me, you know, versus, you know, using something that's typically native, you know, to my area that might not grow anymore, might not grow in my area anymore, can't withstand, the, you know, these these climate changes, you know, that's happening. And so we, we I think when it comes to the term of, you know, seeing GMOs, I mean, I think that we've, We've been using them for years. The first one in the U.S. was the tomato, you know, over 20 years ago. And we've seen what has happened since then, you know. And so I think when it comes to, you know, do we understand like the effects on the human body? Cause I know that's always a part of that conversation. There's a lot of stuff that we don't know, you know, the effects on the human body, you know, that's so true. We're, we're presented, so, so we're presented in an environment where, you know, things are happening around us, you know, every day, mm-hmm. you know, we take medicine, we're in climates that aren't necessarily conducive. There are a lot of things right. that, are, that affect the human body. And so I think, you know, it's easy to get kind of caught in the weeds and like oh like is this good or is this bad i think if i was um in a non privileged position and i needed yeah. something to to be able to eat and and you're offering me something that can that can grow in my area that i like or that is culturally relevant to me you know because that even though we don't necessarily talk about it, some of that definitely needs to be discussed more. You know, is this something that, you know, is culturally relevant, you know, for me? But if we if we have an opportunity to develop those things, then why wouldn't we take science and advance ourselves even further? We've used science to advance ourselves and everything else.
0: That's true. That's true. So. You
1: definitely, you schooled me on
0: that. Um, you, de- you definitely schooled me on that because I wasn't thinking from the perspective of, you have areas of drought, you have areas of hunger where uh, we really need wheat or we need rice or we need whatever increased in a way to help feed people I mean, yeah, I was thinking that, thinking about that from a privileged mindset um shopping at certain stores,
1: uh, I need to get out of that <laughs> well i but, mean I, um, just, I just think that if you If you've never been put in a situation, you know, of of that magnitude, it's just a lot easier to to disregard things, and some of the stuff that we've modified have not been out of out of a, a basic necessity of food need. Some of the things that we've modified have been because, as consumers, we have all these different preferences. You know, there, there right. are some people so that true. you know don't don't want to eat a fruit with a seed in it. We buy watermelon that are seedless. I mean, all of that, you know, um, is, is through modifying. You know, what we eat it, it's, it's taking it through good the example. process. You know, and oh, so yeah. when you when you're thinking about you know, I, I never I never say whether I think it's good or bad. I just say you need to think about it from the from whatever perspective that you're coming from and making decisions based on that. But at the end of the day, the way that we are rapidly changing with technology, with everything else, there, it makes absolutely no sense to not think that our food would not you know be transformed as well. We got more wow, and more people the, to feed, and that, that's it, right. You know. <laughs> so. This is so
0: good. And, and you know, I was thinking, what if we – so I went to the grocery store about two mm-hmm. weeks ago, and I won't say what grocery store. Right. They were totally out of eggs. Yeah. And I was sitting there, and there was a man standing behind me, and he he said what I guess he knew. I was thinking, he said, they're out of eggs? How are you out of eggs? I mean, every type of egg, the brown eggs, the vegan, every egg was gone. And I've never seen that in my life. So let's just say that is multiplied just across our state. Mm-hmm. Where are we going to get eggs from?
1: So The farm. You know. The I farm. know plenty of farmers right now that have dozens and dozens and dozens of eggs and, and can't keep them, you know, on the farm long enough. <laughs> you know, right, right now anyway, they can't. Um, I mean, you know, and, and the interesting thing is they've always been there. They've They've always been there. there. We've just never really thought about, oh, I can go get it from them as well. We've got condition to going to a larger place to purchase these things because we want a one-stop shop. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of our, you know, nice you know, cookies and goodies and things like that or whatever, we're clearly gonna to have to continue going to those to those type of stores or whatever to get those things because so we do have people, you know, that that have a preference towards those, you know, or that's what they that's what they can afford to have, you know, um, but our farming community has always been there. I just think that sometimes, you know, it's easy to forget because we've tried to remove ourselves, you know, from the farm so much that now we're starting to get back towards it because we're seeing that the larger things, you know, because it's large and human resource dependent can be very unstable in times like this.
0: This is so good. So good. And so helpful. Well, Mm -hmm. I am going to let you go because like I told you, I could have (laughs) sent you 30 questions, but I said I don't want her to never talk to me or ignore my emails. If I ever email her again. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, Dr. Woods, thank you so mm-hmm. much. Um, you How can people get in touch with you in case they just want to reach out? I mean, I know you're extremely busy and you're over so much, but mm-hmm. what are your social media handles?
1: Um, So my Facebook is Parker Woods, uh, just like that, <laughs> P-A-R-K-E-R-W-O-O-D-S. Uh, um, but to be honest with you, the easiest way to get in contact with me um, is via email. Um, if you really need me, um, it is S. J. Parker, P. A. R. K. E. R. and the number one, at n as in Nancy, C. A. T. dot I am uh, a campus employee, but I do go out in the field sometimes um, when necessary. Um, And we have county agents uh, across the state that are more than welcome to help you as well. Um, So I just try to make sure that, you know, whatever I can do to help, I try my best to help. And if I cannot help, I try to point you in the resource direction to be able to help you. (laughs) So... (laughs)
0: Thank you so much. This has been so good, and it's just been an honor to speak to you, and I truly, truly hope I get an opportunity to talk to you again.
1: Of course, absolutely.
0: Have a good weekend, Dr. Woods.
1: You too. Have a great day.
0: Bye-bye.